MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, September 13th, 2021. Today, new evidence emerges that the Capitol Police did have a heads up on potential January 6th violence. A Pentagon Internet protocol enacted as Trump left office has ended, but the mystery remains. The Capitol Police have concluded their investigation into the behavior of some officers during the insurrection. And Biden tells Schumer he will lobby the Senate on filibuster reform. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello. Welcome back from the weekend, Dana. Thank you. I had a weekend of tennis, which never happens. I've gotten into it lately and watched the historic women's finals. That was just amazing watching those two young women. It was so poised and fantastic and they played well and both Cinderella stories. I loved it. And I also enjoyed the men's finals and I won't say why, but I did. I like the, I like the ending. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. That women's final was amazing. And, you know, I, I sort of started to get into tennis a little bit when my stepdad was really into it and started yeah. watching it. And I was like, this is really enjoyable to watch. And and so I've kind of been a fan ever since. But yeah, truly amazing. And I think today we're back uh, first day of the NFL. Yeah. Being back, starting their games today. And um, of course, the uh, thousands of maskless, um, <laughs> you know, fans are freaking me out. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. But uh, that's where we are. That's where we are. And um, we had a great weekend, you know, talking to on Friday, we got to have, you know, have Mary Trump do the show with us. And that was really fun. So if if you haven't listened to that, I highly recommend picking that up. And today during the show, I'm going to be talking with the host of the the Bob Seska show, whose name is Bob Seska. I love me some Bob Seska. I do as well. What a cool guy. And he just recently did an incredible interview with Mary about her book. And I highly recommend checking that out. And you can hear us talk about that and some other issues, including the Biden vaccine mandates and a few other topical things going on in the news. That'll be later in the show. So we have a good show for you today on this Monday. All right. Well, with that, we have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Lead story today comes from Betsy Woodruff Swan at Politico. And has huge implications. Just two days before armed rioters stormed and ransacked the Capitol, about 300 law enforcement officials got on a conference call to talk about the possibility that the former guy's supporters would turn violent. On January 6th, they specifically discussed the possibility that the day's gatherings would turn into a mass casualty event, and they made plans on how to communicate with each other if that happened. The officials were so prepared for chaos, they even had a hashtag to share information on the FBI's private communication service, hashtag cert unrest 2021, as in certain unrest, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. These previously unreported details came from a person familiar with the call and an email summarizing it obtained by the transparency group Property of the People. The Wall Street Journal first reported that the call occurred and that this is coming out nine months later is freaking me out. But here we are. Quote, reporting indicates a significant number of individuals plan to or are advocating for others to travel to Washington, D.C. to engage in civil unrest and violence. That is a summary of the call, which included officials from so-called fusion centers, region which are regional intelligence hubs set up after 9-11 to track major domestic threats. Right. So th- this is not an intelligence failure. 
And the extent of the FBI's awareness that the rally by Trump backers could turn violent raises fresh questions about why national security and law enforcement officials didn't do more to protect the Capitol on that day. Boy, it sure does. A few days after the riot, a top FBI official told reporters that the Bureau did not have intelligence suggesting the pro-Trump rally would be anything more than a lawful demonstration. That was from The Washington Post. But the call summary shows that hundreds of officials at fusion centers around the country, in fact, saw the threat coming and that they prepared for damaging unrest in the days before the first rioters broke into the Capitol. So it appears, as we posited on this show, that it was not an intelligence failure, but a failure of the Trump leadership on the day of the insurrection. And hopefully we will continue to find out more about where the bottleneck occurred, though, Dana, I think we know. I think we have a good guess. In a related story also, after January 6th, the United States Capitol Police promised to provide an update on its internal investigations related to the attack. This week, the USCP provided the Department of Justice the administrative cases as part of an ongoing discovery production in the prosecution of the January 6th rioters. Officers' names, witness names, and complainant names were redacted. So the USCP's Office of Professional Responsibility, or the OPR, launched 38 internal investigations. The U.S. Attorney's Office did not find sufficient evidence that any of the officers committed a crime. Because they didn't. OPR was able to identify the officers involved in 26 of the cases. Some complaints did not contain enough information to identify uh, the officer at the center of the complaint, though. And in 20 of the cases, no wrongdoing was found at all. Violations were sustained and disciplinary action was recommended in six cases. Three for conduct unbecoming, one for failure to comply with directives, one for improper remarks, and one for improper dissemination of information. Which is really interesting. Another case about an official who is accused of unsatisfactory performance and conduct unbecoming is still pending. The administrative investigation started after criminal investigation in which charges were not filed. So the USPC internal investigations, including any recommended disciplinary actions, as well as personnel matters, are not public information at this time. So the department is committed to accountability when officers fail to meet the standards governed by USCP policies and the congressional community's expectations. So Hmm. we saw videos. I mean, we saw very confusing pictures of videos of cops opening doors, of letting riders go by. We weren't sure mm-hmm. whether it was they were for their safety or it, they were giving them a tour. It was very unclear. And so they're getting down to to the truth of all this, which is good. Yeah. And it's interesting that they the OPR was able to identify the officers in 26 of the cases, but some of the complaints did not contain enough information to identify the officer at the center of the complaint. So I don't think they're I don't think they could say that they're concluded with this unless Mm -hmm. those particular cases were, I mean, all this information is forwarded to the Department of Justice because the Department of Justice is the one requesting it as part of their, you know, investigation into the insurrection. Just more proof, by the way, that the DOJ is looking into this at every level. And so this is what's come out of that. And I expect to hear more about this because, you know, there's a lot of information they couldn't get. Next up, a Pentagon program that delegated management of a huge swath of the internet to a Florida company in January, just three minutes before Trump left office, has ended as mysteriously as it began. We reported on this when it happened. The Defense Department this week retook control of 175 million IP addresses. The program drew scrutiny because of its unusual timing, and it's, it's starting amid a politically charged takeover of federal power and because of its enormous scale at its peak, The company, Global Resource Systems, controlled almost 6% 
of a section of the Internet called IPv4. The IP address had been under Pentagon control for decades, but left unused, despite being potentially worth billions of dollars on the open market. Adding to the mystery, company registration records show Global Resource Systems at the time was only a few months old, having been established in September of 2020 and had no publicly reported federal contracts, no obvious public-facing websites, and no sign of the shared office space it listed as its physical address in Plantation, Florida. The company also did not respond to requests for comment, and the Pentagon did not announce the program or publicly acknowledge its existence until the Washington Post reported on it in April. And Dana, if you remember, I said, you know what I bet? I bet Trump saw that we had this giant swath of the Internet that was owned by the Pentagon, and he just kind of sold it yeah. to someone or, or like leased it to someone to pay some debts, right? Totally likely. The fact that this place is in Florida, it was opened in September of 2020. I mean... It's just weird. But they go on here to say, and now that is done, kind of. On Tuesday, the Pentagon made a technical announcement visible mainly to network administrators around the world, saying it was resuming control of the 175 million IP addresses and directing the traffic to its own servers. On Friday, the Pentagon told The Washington Post that the pilot program, which it previously characterized as a cybersecurity measure designed to detect unspecified vulnerabilities and prevent unauthorized use of of DOD IP address space, was over. Parts of the Internet, once managed by Global Resource System, the Pentagon said, are now being overseen again by the Department of Justice Information Network, known by the acronym DODIN, D-O-D-I-N, and part of U.S. Cyber Command based at Fort Meade. Hmm. We'll continue to report as we get more information. But fishy, fishy. Three minutes before Biden. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a shell company set up in Florida in September who then owned... 175 million IP addresses that the Pentagon just been sitting on for the last couple of decades. And yeah, now no. it's just now it's just over. OK. Yeah. No, sushi is fishy. That's sketchy as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. Oh, finally, finally, with a make or break vote looming in the Senate on a sweeping voting rights and anti-corruption bill, President Joe Biden and his advisors have said in recent weeks that Biden will pressure wavering Democrats, Mansion Cinema to support reforming the filibuster if necessary to pass the voting bill. So according to three people briefed on the White House's position and its recent communications with outside groups, Biden assured Senate Majority Leader, I just like saying it, Chuck Schumer and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi that he was ready to push for filibuster reform. Biden's pressure would aim to help Schumer convince moderate Democrats to support a carve-out, just a carve-out to the filibuster. And this is a must for a party if it's going to pass new voting protections without Republican votes. Now, according to a source briefed on the White House's position, Biden told Schumer, and this is a quote, Chuck, you tell me when you need me to start making phone calls. (laughs) I love I love Joe. I know. (laughs) A White House spokesman declined to comment on any private conversations between Biden and congressional leaders. The official said that Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris have been deeply involved with the push to pass new voting protections. The president and vice president have been very clear that its crucial priority and senior White House staff across many departments are constantly working on it. And that's what the official said. So I do hope this happens. We need it to happen. Our democracy in I don't it, I know it sounds panicky. It's hanging by a thread. If we can't get voting rights passed. Well, we have control of all three branches and the states are actively suppressing the vote. Hmm. I don't I don't see democracy. I don't see the American experiment surviving. And neither do you. Neither does Mary. This is a make or break moment in our history. Yeah. And that's why I think Manchin is being allowed to sort of take the lead 
on the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, the, you know, the reform of the We the People Act. It's like mm-hmm. voting rights, but light, like voting rights light. Right. And he's being allowed to take the lead so that, you know, Biden can give him a call and say, hey, you want your name on this historic fucking legislation? You're going to have to do a filibuster carve out, my friend. Yeah. Uh, and we've kind of been seeing this coming, but it's nice to get confirmation that Biden is or is going to be pressuring for a carve out, at least on voting rights. And what was interesting is at the beginning of that article, uh, Dana, you mentioned, uh, let me see here if I can find the sentence, make or break vote looming in the Senate on sweeping voting rights and anti-corruption bill. And that is what I was talking about, I think, over the weekend on the Mueller She Wrote podcast, which is Schiff has this new sweeping anti-corruption bill to come out, unless they're talking about the For the People Act, in which right. could also be well, that could also be. But Schiff wants to to make all of our norms laws and limit executive power. Like, you know, the president can't pardon somebody as part of a bribery scheme, for example. Absolutely. Like shit that we all go, well, fucking duh, but isn't actually right. in the law. And so that's another huge anti-corruption bill that I know that um, Schiff wants to put through. And is, has bipartisan yeah. support, you know? I hope he does. I mean, the the former guy uh, throughout all of the tradition, if you will, and, uh, you know, every, you know, the Republicans were like, it's not a law. So, mm-hmm. you know what? We're not following this anymore. So, yeah, get this stuff in law so that it can't happen again. Yeah. Or at least make the law have some punishments like the nepotism. Seriously. Rule, you know? I know. That's ridiculous. And maybe make a little bit more uh, punishment for the Hatch Act instead of just a, you've been a bad boy. Mm-hmm. Who's a bad boy? Yeah. You're a bad boy. Or it's up to the you know, the boss. Exactly. Whether somebody gets fired or not. But anyway, interesting stuff. And and we'll see what happens. I tend to think Joe Manchin will want his name on that bill. And so hopefully we'll we'll be able to get some voting rights codified. All right. We'll be right back with the host of the Bob Seska show and regular on Stephanie Miller and John Fugelsang, Bob Seska. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Allison from Beans. And today's episode of the pod is brought to you by Scribd. Do you ever feel like you're spending more time browsing for entertainment than actually enjoying it? I know I've spent hours just scrolling through Netflix, and by the time I find something, it's time to go to sleep. Trying to pick out a new book or audiobook also takes me forever, but Scribd makes choosing my next book so much simpler. With Scribd, you get instant access to millions of ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, and everything, along with thoughtfully curated editor's picks and smart recommendations based on what you've read. Scribd is the ultimate reading subscription service letting you explore all of your interests in any format you choose for only $9.99 a month. You get the entire library for less than the cost of a single book. No complicated credits or additional purchases that are required. I'm not sure what to read? Scribd combines the latest technology with the best human minds to recommend content that you will love. Want to change things up? You are free to switch between titles, genres, and formats at any time on your phone, tablet, or computer. And right now, we're offering listeners of this program a free 60-day trial. So go to try.scribd.com slash daily beans for your free trial. That's try.scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D dot com slash daily beans to get 60 days of Scribd for free. Everybody, welcome back. I am honored today to be joined by the host of the Bob Seska Show. He's a writer for Salon and Banter, and he's a regular on other shows I know you listen to, including the Stephanie Miller Show and Sirius XM's John Fugelsang show. Please welcome Bob Seska. Bob, hello. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, Allison. I appreciate it. This is great. This is the first time that you've been on The Daily Beans, and I'm really honored to have you here. I can't wait to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. I've been following uh, Mueller, she wrote, from the very beginning, of course. And so it's a, it's a great honor to be uh, in one of the satellite shows. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. 
Today, I wanted to bring you on to talk about some things that you've been talking about a lot on Twitter or on Steph Miller show. Mm -hmm. Particularly, I wanted to start with the Biden vaccine mandates because, you know, he came out, gave his speech, which I particularly liked. I thought it was a very good use of the bully pulpit. Mm -hmm. And he was pretty much, you know, enough is enough. Stop dicking around and get your shot. Yeah. It's life and death. And a lot of the mainstream media, I'm thinking particularly Jake Tapper, called him, uh, you know, oh, that's not the way to do it. We have to, you know, kid gloves and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You know, the switch flipped for Jake Tapper somewhere in the Afghanistan (laughs) withdrawal. But yet here we are. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about your thoughts on these on these vaccine mandates, because new reporting out today actually says that the legal challenges are probably going to fail. Yeah, well, there's lots of precedent. I think there's a Jacobson case from 1905 or something like that that establishes the ability of the federal government to uh, to set vaccine mandates. You know, and that's that's quite clear. So I think there's that. Plus, I think uh, Joe Biden's uh, putting all of this into the or under the umbrella of OSHA, which I think is a smart way to go. But I mean, going back to Jake Tapper real quick before we get into any of that other stuff is I'm really glad that the White House is not listening to Jake Tapper. And one of the reasons for that is because for too long, I think Democrats have been overly concerned about walking on eggshells around swing voters. And I'm so glad that finally Joe Biden just put his gigantic steel balls on the table and said, here, (laughs) we're doing this and try to stop me. It's such a relief, not only from policy point of view, and there are lots of reasons why it's a great idea from a policy point of view, but also from a politics standpoint, that there's some real Democratic leadership here that says, you know what, I'm not going to I'm not going to dance around this. I'm not going to pander to the shirkers and and the anti-vaxxers and the red hats in general. I'm not going to not going to pander to their whimsy because you know what? They're never going to be happy anyway. Mm -mm. If their heads aren't exploding over this, they're going to be exploding over something else. Mm -hmm. So why not do the right thing for the country? And to be perfectly honest with you, this isn't really a vaccine mandate. No, it's not. None of these people who are objecting to the vaccine have to get the vaccine. They can just get tested once a week. And now the testing is so minimally invasive. It's just, I think, you know, whether it's a saliva test or they can do a test that's just inside the nostrils, not jamming a a swab way up into your brain. Mm -hmm. So yeah, deal with it. This is something it requires. You you have to get a vaccine to go to school. You have to get a vaccine to travel to certain countries. You have to get a vaccine to be in the military, a variety of vaccines. 17. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so it's, it's ludicrous that this is, again, they were going to find something to freak out about no matter what. If they didn't have anything, they would just make it up because that's what they love doing. You know, if there's not something that they can grapple onto, they're going to make up something else, you know? Yeah, true. And so this is the case. And, and, and from a, a policy point of view, for the first time, I think since I got my second vaccination back in March or April or whatever it was, I actually feel a sense of hope that we might be able to at least slow this down that much more mm-hmm. because of this mandate. We'll get that many more people finally biting the bullet and, oh my God, grownups getting a shot. (laughs) You know, how horrible is that for them? But they're going to finally do it and we're all going to be safer because one of the things I think we need to do, those of us who are responsible people, I don't care whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, if you're one of the responsible people, we are being held hostage by the irresponsible people. The freedom argument needs to be flipped 
Yes. We need to take back that freedom argument because it's our free. We're doing the right thing. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing, whether it's wearing a mask or getting a vaccine or staying, uh, you know, distanced or I, I think many of us are isolating. Right. If you're unvaccinated and you don't want to wear a mask, yeah. you stay home. Not exactly us. right. Exactly and, right. And I think that you're right. When Biden looked, when they asked him, you know, are you, are you worried about the legal concerns? People are going to sue over this. He said he said, have at it. Yeah, because he knows he's going to win. And, you know, we have to say, oh, but what about the Supreme Court? We saw what they did in Texas. We see, you know, yeah. the Supreme Court. But the Supreme Court has decided and set a little bit of precedent on the Indiana case mm-hmm. brought by the Citizens United guy at Indiana University was mandating vaccines. And SCOTUS said, no, they have they can mandate vaccines. Yeah. Going back to the, the case that you cited. And so I don't think that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that this Supreme Court is bought and paid for by dark money and doing sinister things. But mm-hmm. I, it, it appears that they're going to fall on the side of vaccine mandates. And and you're right. The voters, the, those of us who are vaccinated, far outnumber yeah. the fringe. Right. And to say to stand up for us, mm-hmm. you know, I think is the right thing, because what's the next announcement? Biden, President Biden announces to the CDC is going to purchase lollies yeah. for, you know, uh, 100 million people who don't want to get vaccinated. So they don't feel so bad. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. What the, like, what the hell is going on? So I'm I'm really excited about that. And that hope is real. I mean, we, we have a lot to despair about with the Supreme Court right now, currently. But mm-hmm. I don't think that this is one of them. Look, yeah. And we have to be a nation, especially confronting a, a pandemic of this nature. We have to be a nation that doesn't reward people who are being childish, people who aren't acting in the best interest of their community. I don't know when this happened that we decided, oh, I guess it's OK to be a villain. You know, we I guess we should find some way to empathize with villains. I don't know if that came from pop culture or politics or a combination of both. But we've gotten to that point. It was the director's cut of Blade Runner. I, ah. I, I bet we could... <laughs> I bet we can put it back on the director's cut of Blade Runner where you're like, without the commentary and without the narration, you're like, you know, Rucker Howard's just trying to live his life. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even since there's stuff that I love. I mean, I'm, a, I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt. One of my favorite shows of all time is The Mandalorian. Mm. And even in The Mandalorian, we're treated to a couple of episodes where they're like, well, let's look at this through the Empire's point of view. You know, they lost lots of people when those terrorists destroyed the Death Star. Hmm. Like, when did this happen? When did we start looking at everything through this prism? And I'm not necessarily blaming the Mandalorian or anything else for it, but we live in a society now in which I think too many people are are okay with crooks and villains and uh, people like that running the show Mm -hmm. and and how we need to, like Jake Tapper said originally, uh, how we need to somehow pander to these people. We don't want to offend them too much, Hmm. even though they're doing the right thing and endangering us all, endangering our children now. We don't want to piss them off because who knows what they're going to say or do. I tend to believe that CNN's coverage of Afghanistan was probably much more damaging to Democratic chances in the midterms and in the 2024 uh, presidential election than any vaccine mandate will ever do. Yeah, and therefore damaging to democracy itself. Oh, yeah, honestly. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And, and I, I can't, uh, we never see the, the mainstream media saying, you know, we sat down with five vaccinated Biden voters to get their thoughts. On, <laughs> you know, you never, it's yeah. always like we sat down with, with you know, Brenda from, you know, Punk, uh, Punxsutawney, who's mm-hmm. absolutely incensed that in order to keep her waitress job, she has to vaccinate her. 
be tested every week. And, and the pressures and the societal shame that she's facing, that's who we want to talk to. And yeah. it's it's backwards. It's absolutely backwards. I'm with you on that 100%. Mm-hmm. And the question they never ask when they go and they seek the diner people is, do you realize that you voted for a known con man? Mm. I mean, do you realize that Donald Trump is one of the most notorious con men of this era and previous eras going back to the 70s and, and 1980s? Yeah, uh, you were flim flammed into voting for this guy. What? What made you do it? <laughs> so, But that question is never, ever asked. And I wish it was because I think people still believe that he's on the level. And that, I, I can't help but to use the word suckers in that context. It's a uh, it's pretty sad. That's one of the side effects, I think, of the Trump years and certainly the pandemic is I'm much more cynical now about my fellow Americans than I ever was before. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to wonder, have they always been like this or? Yeah. You know, and that brings us to Mary Trump's book. You just recently had Mary hmm. Trump on the Bob Seska show. One of the best interviews of, of Mary Trump. Oh, thank you. That I've heard. And she even said so. She tweeted out. This is one of the great this is one of the greater interviews. Oh, it's so nice. Not only do you talk about Star Trek and the Star Trek universe, but. <laughs> <laughs> you you cover you know why we are the way you know in which Mary does in her book extremely well why we haven't healed why we're divided and why we haven't yeah. healed from our national trauma and I want to get into that but I have to take a quick break will you stay with me sure great thanks everybody we'll be right back hey everybody it's AG from the Beans in this modern era of mass produced clothes made in sweatshop conditions more than ever we need clothing that has a positive impact not just on your wardrobe but on local communities. American Giant goes beyond Made in America and forges lasting relationships with local manufacturers, workers, and communities and obsesses over every single detail of their clothing at every step of the way. That's how they made their flagship classic full-zip hoodie, which went on to be called the greatest hoodie ever made. And I agree. Their product line has grown well beyond that first best-selling hoodie. Their core commitment to revolutionizing your everyday wardrobe has not changed. I love the quality of American Giant apparel. I have their slub tees and that hoodie. Their clothes are durable, but the fabric still feels soft and comfortable, and they look great, too. Their locally made clothing is not only beautiful, it's better for both the wearer and the people and communities impacted at every step. So explore American Giant's collection of durable essentials at American-Giant.com, and you get 20% off when you use code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com, and use promo code DAILYBEANS. And today's show is also brought to you by My Favorite Sheets Ever bowl and branch. Small things can sometimes make a giant difference. A little smile, maybe a kind word, although seemingly insignificant, can make a lasting impression. And all the little things we do add up to leave a legacy. And Bowl and Branch was started by a husband and wife team that wanted to create a textile company that cared about the details that would make their products last. And you feel the difference in their best-selling, beautifully crafted signature sheets. Bowl and Branch sheets are my favorite by far. They're so buttery soft and luxurious. It has this magnificent drape, and silken texture, which I absolutely adore. The cloud weight, super soft sateen weave gets softer with every wash. They have the perfect balance of weight and breathability to pamper warm or cool sleepers throughout any season. And there are no middlemen between you and your bowl and branch sheets, so you get luxury quality for the fairest price. They stand behind their products and honor a 30-night worry-free guarantee if you're unsatisfied. So to experience the entirely new standard of comfort, visit bowlandbranch.com. You can get 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com and use promo code DAILYBEANS. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're talking with the host of the Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska, you can see him regularly on the Steph Miller Show, who we love, mm-hmm. and also on John Fugelsang, who I've been speaking to a lot lately. Absolutely amazing show. And before the break, I touched a little bit on your interview with Mary Trump because her book is out, The Reckoning. And it's a difficult look at our history in the United States. 
and why we haven't been able to heal, why these things like COVID and the insurrection are not sources necessarily of trauma, but re-triggerings of trauma as uh, for the United States as a country, because we never healed from our from the traumas that actually began this country, that mm-hmm. f- founded this country, the indigenous people, middle passage, slavery, et cetera. And, oh, yeah. and until we face and heal those traumas, we cannot even work on recurring triggering things like <laughs> insurrection or COVID. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what your thoughts when you were discussing this with Mary Trump, what were some of the standout moments? Sure. Well, one of the main things we talked about besides spending, you know, 10, 15 minutes on Star Trek, which is always the priority. We talked a lot about what's known as the lost cause and the aftermath of the Civil War. I, I think so much, and, and I'm not the first person to say this, I think Shelby Foote famously says it in the Ken Burns Civil War series, that everything that we are as a country, for better or for worse, is exemplified in the Civil War and emerged out of the Civil War. So while, yes, our nation's founding, 1776, Declaration of Independence, the Constitutional Convention that uh, occurred a couple of decades later, these are all things that founded our country, but the Civil War made our country the way it is in modern times. And through not only the war itself, through the aftermath, through uh, Reconstruction, but what occurred coming out of Reconstruction I think more than anything else created so much of the damage racially that we still experience today as a country. And what I mean by the lost cause is after the Civil War, the South was obviously regarded as the villains who were responsible for this immense bloodbath that was the Civil War. I think a lot of people, rightfully so, blame the South and the secessionists for certainly a lot of the slaveholders as well for manifesting that catastrophe. You know, in the long run, I think it was a catastrophe that needed to happen in order to eliminate slavery. It certainly was the catalyst for Abraham Lincoln to do what he needed to do uh, along those lines to erase that original sin of the founding fathers for not eliminating slavery when the country was founded, Hmm. which they should have done. So coming out of that, the only way to reunify the country was to somehow soft pedal what the South had done, certainly what the Southern leaders had done. And one of the many things, obviously, we see a lot of the statues Hmm. that are coming down. Those are all consequence of the lost cause. Let's kind of deify and lionize some of these Southern generals. They were just fighting for states' rights, don't you know? They weren't going to war over defending uh, the economy of servitude and slavery in the South. Mm, Yeah. And my my follow-up question is always, states' right to what? Yes, exactly. And that's the most appropriate question. Anytime a lost causer says, hey, it's all about states rights you say states rights to do what to own human (laughs) beings as chattel as property yeah and to torture them in many cases Mm -hmm. so what happened was with the lost cause is not only were those people lionized the southern secessionists and leaders like robert e lee but also newly freed black people north and south alike were turned into a common enemy between the north and the south If we can find, and these are, you know, we're talking about influencers, so to speak, in the press. We're talking about politicians of that time wanting to unify the country. So let's find this common enemy. So North and South can unite around the formation of this common enemy in Black people. And that's where you start to get things like the early Black and white silent movies of the Hollywood era. Once that started to be popular and there were movie theaters popping up in in cities and towns around the country, 
a lot of those one reel shorts were all about the awful black stereotyping. Mm -hmm. And we see that most glaringly in Birth of a Nation, where black people are the villains, the KKK are the heroes, and the KKK comes shooting in to, as heroes at the last minute to save a white woman who's being raped by a group of black people. And th these are many things that were, mm -hmm. and there are illustrations of this in short films that go beyond Birth of a Nation and so on that are just, I didn't even want to mention some of the titles of them because they're horrendous. Right. But these are all to illustrate how we emerged out of the Civil War and the Reconstruction era and created societal ideas, biases, prejudices, racism that hadn't necessarily been emphasized the way it was during the lost cause. And that's what still haunts us today. Mm -hmm. So much of the racial animosity that you have among white people against black people in this country are a direct consequence of those stereotypes that emerged from the lost cause. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you start to infect people with these ideas and they last and they get taught in schools and it becomes common knowledge. And you say, well, this is the way it's always been. Yes. But the way it's always been has been a myth. Mm -hmm. This has been a myth that emerged out of the Civil War. The fact of the matter is that things were running quite well during Reconstruction. Black suffrage in the South was at obviously brand new, first of all, but immensely popular. I think there were black senators, black members of Congress, black state legislatures. I think yeah. 2,000 2, black men had, had run and, and successfully run for, for office during during that time. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about this. You, know, you talked about it with Mary. I've talked about it with Mary. But the the way that the 13th, 14th and 15th Amendments were written, mm -hmm. the way Reconstruction didn't have a plan because Lincoln got assassinated and Andrew Johnson was obviously no help. But there were there was too much room to backslide. Like you said, yeah. these were mostly mealy mouth, half assed measures that left the door open for backsliding. And mm -hmm. we're facing that exact same situation today with the insurrection and white supremacy. Oh, and, yes. it, and it continues. And that is why so many people are pushing robust, hammer down accountability mm -hmm. for what happened in 2020 because we didn't get it in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. And when the same thing happened. So, you know, being faced with the exact same scenario, it boggles my mind that that this particular Department of Justice or administration wouldn't be learning the lessons of reconstruction mm -hmm. and ensuring that there are no loopholes to backslide out of to, again, find that common enemy like we did with indigenous people, like we did with black people, like we did with the Japanese mm -hmm. in World War Two, like we did in more recent years with uh, immigrants from Mexico or South America, it, it just continues to happen over and over and over again. And, and it has to be like, like an abusive family where the abuse continues and continues generation to generation. Somebody has to, the buck has to stop somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And it's difficult to reconcile that with what Lincoln said in his second inaugural famously with charity. What was it with malice toward none and charity for all. And he was directly talking about the South. Once the, because at that point, his second inaugural happened at a time when the war was about to end. And so he established that as kind of a prelude to what his version of Reconstruction would have looked like. But obviously, that was pushed through the lens of politics. Yeah. yeah. And, and justice and accountability shouldn't be equated with malice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Just as a manager, when I worked for the, for the government, mm -hmm. I had about 80 percent of, of the employees that did all their work and worked really hard and 20 percent that fucked off and the 20 percent yeah. fucked it up for everybody else. Right. <laughs> right. And if you want to hold those 20 percent accountable, 
then you were somehow the bad guy mm-hmm. when the other 80% were begging for you to do so. Yeah. So, it, and that's just a small, uh, you know, tiny example, but we, I think we face that on a larger scale. Yeah. I mean, how do we now with the insurrection, how do we deal with that in a way that doesn't manifest 150 years of whatever negative side effects emerge out of that? How do we uh, reconcile with it? How do we hold the people accountable who are responsible for it? My concern is that even without the insurrection, my concern is that Donald Trump and the people who were in his inner circle, Hmm. who were partly responsible for his authoritarian presidency, will be able to just, and and they have, reintegrate themselves back into the media circuit and so on. And that, to me, is going to manifest. You talk about the negative repercussions of a catastrophic event like this. What's going to happen is the signal that is sent is that this is acceptable. This is this kind of behavior is okay. These ideas are satisfactory. We can pander to the whimsy of racists. We can tear down these institutions that hold our democracy together. We can look upon the unwritten rules of the American Republic and we can bash right through them because they're unwritten rules. Why even bother with tradition? And so these are all the things that are going to create long-term ramifications. And the only way to eliminate those long-term ramifications is to act swiftly to make sure that any copycats get the message that this cannot be allowed to stand. We cannot accept this kind of leadership in this country, which we're also seeing, obviously, the template in Russia We're seeing it in Brazil. We've seen it with Marine Le Pen trying to rise up in France. This authoritarian. Orban, Bolsonaro. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's this rise and we have to draw the line here and say no more. And uh, I don't see that happening. That's the that's the ultimate sad statement about what's what's going on with all of this is I'm not seeing the kind of accountability for Trump and his minion that needs to occur in order to bottle this permanently. Yeah. And and although, you know, Adam Schiff, there's like talk now that they're going to introduce a bill yeah. uh, to curb executive power, you know, to make it so you can't use pardons as bribes to, you know, yeah. to basically give teeth to these norms that you were talking about that mm-hmm. we've just sort of followed that didn't have any consequences if you didn't. And it, this has had wide bipartisan support since t- at least 2007, you know, when people wanted to take away the president's ability to sell arms without going to Congress or start wars without going to Congress, et cetera. So hopefully maybe something like that will get through. But I'm afraid that the the more moderates of the bunch will yeah. water it down and allow those loopholes for backsliding back into sort of what we've seen. And it happens so mm-hmm. often yeah. in this country. But I really, really encourage everybody to listen to your interview with Mary Trump. We're, we're covering her book on the MSW Book Club every Sunday. And tell everyone where they can find your show, the Mary Trump interview, and just listen to you in general and follow you on social media. Where can everybody find you? Well, the the most convenient place to go is bobseska.com. That's sort of the main hub of uh, my show. But obviously, on all of the various podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, it's on there, iHeartRadio, and all the rest of them. Although every place, I guess the standard line now is everywhere you get your podcasts. Just search for The Bob Seska Show and find it there. But bobseska.com. Also, my Patreon is uh, patreon.com slash Show. Or not to complicate things too much, but you can just type in bobseskashow.com. It'll also take you right to uh, the Patreon page. And so that's where we have all of our bonus content and sort of the hub for all of our, like, what we call P1 listeners. So <laughs> that's where it all that's where it all happens. Yeah. And that's Seska, C-E-S. 
CA, everybody. Yes, thank you so much. And uh, I appreciate your time today. It's been great talking to you. I hope that you'll come back on. Yeah. Talk a little bit more because I do think that we are going to see more accountability as time goes on. These things take time, obviously. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we look back at Watergate, that took a couple of years to prosecute. Even the the Fonnie Willis Rico the scandal in, in Georgia that she prosecuted successfully where the teachers were administrators were cheating on test scores mm-hmm. to make them to make their schools look better. That took two and a half years. I mean, these are massive, complex cases. And I'm hoping that things are getting done. We haven't seen too much indicating that it is. But that's how that's how they're supposed to go. Right. When yeah. <laughs> when Bill Barr was in the Department of Justice and was coming out and announcing all these investigations, when Comey came out and announced the investigation to reopen the Hillary Clinton's email investigation in the Wiener laptop. We were all like, shut up. You're not supposed to fucking talk about that shit. And now we're like, please tell us, you know, but yeah, we, we kind of have to keep in mind that they're not really supposed to. We just need a majority in the Senate. We need a bigger majority the in the Senate, too. That's a key. That's a key to all of 2022. Yeah. And, you know, and I know historically in in the first midterm elections, the incumbent party loses seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's us. And we can't afford we can't afford nope. to do that. We have razor thin margins in both and we need to increase those margins. Make Mansion irrelevant again, I say. Mm. <laughs> uh, well said, yeah. <laughs> but it's going to be a big push. And, and I know everybody's collectively tired. We all felt so good the morning of January 6th, the morning of January 6th, after we found out Ossoff and Warnock had won their seats mm-hmm. and, and Biden had been elected. We found out a, a couple months prior. And we're like, all right, all right, oh, yeah, great. All we have now is this vote certification and we're good to go. And yep. uh, then what happened happened. And, and mm-hmm. there has to be accountability for that. But I appreciate your time today. It's been wonderful talking to you. Yeah, thanks so much, Awesome. And I look forward to seeing you again. Bob Seska, thanks so much. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everyone, it's Allison. If you've ever listened to this show or if you've listened for a while, you know I am obsessed with Best Fiends. This is, in my humble but correct opinion, the best match three style game ever created. The rest are essentially the same game, just with different color schemes. So stop crushing the same old candy and try something new. Play Best Fiends and you'll get an experience with an actual storyline and strategy complete with good guys, the fiends, and not so good guys, the slugs. You start out with little baby fiends, but as you progress throughout the game, they become more powerful and you can level them up. And new fiends join the team to help you solve increasingly challenging puzzles. And with Best Fiends, you get an action-packed adventure at a brain-boosting puzzle game all in one. And with new content added all the time, you're never bored. It's always fresh. I am up to level, I think, 2,600 now. It's I'm up there. Um, but they have literally thousands of levels with more added every day. And there's always a new challenge to look forward to whenever I need a mental boost. And you can play offline so I can do it on the metro or when I'm flying on the airlines. So download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. And today's show is also brought to you by Allform, my favorite place to get beautiful, high-quality furniture made to fit your personal style and specifications. I love Allform because they craft beautiful premium furniture designed to my likes and needs, and it's delivered fast and free of charge directly to my door. With Allform, you can customize your own luxury furniture using premium materials, but at a fraction of the cost. You pick your sofa color, the size, shape, configuration, and fabric, which is spill, stain, and scratch resistant, which is perfect for pod pets. I chose a three-seater sofa with whiskey-colored leather. I could never have a leather couch with cats, but I can now. Um, And it has a walnut leg finish to match my mid-century vibe and a chaise lounge at the end. It's comfy, roomy, and it looks amazing. And all form delivers fast, just three to seven days to arrive in the mail, and you can assemble it yourself in a few minutes with no tools. They have beautiful armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight-seat sectionals, and you can always start small and buy more seats later on if you want. 
Best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. So there's no risk. They also have a forever warranty, literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. Again, head to allform.com slash dailybeans for up to 20% off all the orders for our listeners. Again, allform.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. Ah, uh, the Monday good news is the best good news of the week, I think. It really is. Uh, and I, I kind of uh, skimmed the news. I didn't read any of it, but I was just looking at the pictures. <laughs> so many good taxes paid today. Ah, <laughs> yes. The tax collection is working on the pod pet tax. And if you have any, you just want to send in photos of your animals or you want to play What the Mutt with us or good news, confessions, corrections, anything you want to send in, any game you want to play. Shit Kids Say is really fun. You can send that to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And I will kick us off, Dana, with a submission from Jill, pronoun she and her, dear Dr. Allison Gill and the Honorable Dana Goldberg and Judge Carrero. Thank you for continuing to provide insight and support to us all as we try to slow the dystopian slide escalated by the Texas government and aided and abetted by five Supreme Court justices. I do have a misheard song lyric and a good news story with an accompanying pod pet tax. I was a swimming instructor at day camp in the summer when the soundtrack to Michael Jackson's Thriller played nonstop on the radio. The camp decided to hold a talent show for the campers to perform for their parents. One contestant was a little five-year-old girl who decided to sing Beat It. She sang loud and with great enthusiasm and all was going well until she belted out the line, showing how fucky and strong is your fight. <laughs> A combination of gasps and laughter ensued. Of course, the correct lyric is showing how funky and strong is your fight. Yes, it doesn't matter who's wrong or right. Here's my good news. Last November, I was living alone in Minnesota, deep in Trump land, where I had moved from Maine for a job. I was told I needed to have an immediate total shoulder replacement Ugh, or my shoulder was going to collapse. What? I was tremendously lonely and depressed even before receiving this news. My three adult children all decided to come out in successive weeks after my surgery to help me in recovery. How, what a great plan. Given that it was pre-vaccines, they all had to submit multiple COVID tests and quarantines when they returned home. It had never happened that I had an entire week to spend one-on-one -on -one with each of my children. They are all generous, smart, and witty Democrats. I came to realize that I was missing out on some critical times in their lives. I decided that I was moving back to Maine where my kids were, even if it cost me my job. Fortunately, I was able to sell my Minnesota home rapidly and my employer agreed to let me work remotely from Maine. My new shoulder is amazing. Last week, my oldest son got engaged and I was the first to be told in person. Here is my pod pet tax, a photo of Tate and his giant, beautiful Maine Coon cat, Jobin. <laughs> I hope sincerely that Tate got the name Jobin from the movie I Love You, Man. Because when Paul Rudd is trying to generate a nickname, <laughs> he keeps calling him Seta Slacker and Jobin. And I, I hope that that's what that's from. <laughs> a tattoo of which he got on his leg. I know AG likes Maine Coons. And a photo with my son with his fiance. I also thought AG might appreciate their gorgeous tattoos. I just appreciate their gorgeousness. What a beautiful couple. Dude, right? And this picture, um, AG, I'm sorry that 
center picture, this gentleman is clearly already taken because he seems like he'd be right up your alley. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Dang it. But hey, congratulations. And look at the, <gasps> look at the pretty kitty. I want to know Beautiful. if you wouldn't mind sending me, Jill, the name of the tattoo artist, because I want to get my two boys tattooed. And that is exactly the style in which I, nice. I want. So if you could send me that tattoo artist, I would love to know. I'd be happy to travel. There you go. All right. This is from Jean, pronouns she and her. Hi, Beans Queens. I'm writing to share two things. First, a longtime resident of the great but very deep red state of Utah. I was also pleasantly surprised by Governor Cox's letter to President Biden welcoming Afghan refugees. Cox has been deliberately hamstrung by our blood red gerrymandered state legislature in many ways, especially in terms of what he can do to respond to the COVID surges, etc., but he's trying and doing his best to find common ground. For a Republican, the guy is miserably, asterisk, less awful, some of his counterparts. Oh, measurably. So I agree with... Measurably less awful. Measurably. Yes. Yes. Measurably is the right word, miserably. <laughs> he's probably also miserably less awful. Yes. But the guy yes. is measurably less awful than some of his counterparts. So I agree with AG. Credit where credit is due. On a personal note, some good news. My husband, after an active life spent playing football, serving in the Army National Guard, working as a stagehand, completing three full Ironman triathlons. Why is this guy so fucking lazy, AJ? I know. And recreate, recreating medieval combat just for fun has developed, geez, has developed severe osteoarthritis in his left knee. Ugh. The pain had become so severe that it was impacting his quality of life and also his mental health. After lots of discussion and weighing the benefits against the risks, he decided to go forward with a full knee replacement, which was completed just two days ago. Although he's in for a long recovery, the hope is that he'll soon be able to get back to doing some of the things that bring him joy and kept him alive. AG closes each show with a reminder to take care of each other and our mental health. And I wanted to add that sometimes doing so requires big, bold moves. Mm. Amen to that. For pet tax, we see attached pictures of our two rag dolls, Arthur and Ford, named after characters in the book Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. They are both from the same litter and have very unique personalities. Their fur is soft like rabbit fur. Thank you for all you do. And it looks soft like rabbit fur. Look at those eyes. Look at these cats. Mm, I want rag doll kitty. I I haven't had a rag doll in a very long time. And the one that I had was like a flame point sort of half rag doll. Mm Mm-hmm. But they're so great ragdoll kitties that you pick them up. They're all floppy and you can just kind of set them anywhere. <laughs> they're super chill. Oh, what beauties. I love the curly whiskers. That's fancy. All right. Well, thank you for that. And I hope the knee replacement goes well. But yeah, active AF and hopefully gets to return to very soon. So uh, we wish you a speedy healing process with the knee replacement. Indeed. Indeed. Next up from Anonymous, pronouns she and her. Hello, Beans Queens. Been around since AG went on Getting Curious. I love that show. So I suppose that's the kitchen days. Thank you for the clarity you bring. Such a breath of fresh air. Anyway, I have a misheard lyric. My wife and I just watched the trailer for the new Matrix movie, and it had White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. And I was today years old when I learned that what the dormouse said, feed your head, feed your head, was not what the dogma said. (laughs) At this point in my writing, my wife has interrupted me to say, you have to explain why you thought dogma. I have no fucking idea, no explanation. But besides that, here's the entry into what the mutt. Meet kitten. Oh. Picks are called kitten is a centerfold blep. And I'm channeling Michael Cohn. You will know which is which. We don't have a DNA test. 
Oh, 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 this. Oh, my goodness. I definitely see pit. Yep. I definitely do, too. And that, that brindle color is so beautiful. Maybe so American Bulldog beautiful. or something like yep. that. Let yep. us know. Or Let even us Mastiff. Know. I don't know how big this dog is. That first one looks like it's big, but American Bulldog is a definitely good guess. What, these are adorable dogs. Yeah, it's an adorable dog. So cute. Thank you for I that. Love it. All right. We're heading to the 505. I've got Jim in Albuquerque. Pronounce he and him. Hi, what, Allison, what? Dana. 505. What, what? Hi, Allison, Dana, and Amy. Good news first. I'm closing in on age 63. And I was just shy of 31 and a half when I got sober. So I'm now twice the age I was when I put down that last drink. Mm. Congratulations. I had already been in therapy and in an adult children of alcoholics 12-step program for my post-traumatic stress from both childhood and military trauma for just under three years, but had not managed to quit drinking at first because I still felt a need for a way to self-medicate for my anxiety, anger, and depression. Mm -hmm. But on April 24th, 1990... I had just opened a beer, and before I took that first drink, I realized that I just didn't need or want it anymore. My therapist, who was a Navy chaplain who was a dead ringer for Elmer Fudd, (laughs) said my fellow recovering ACAs had given me the coping skills I needed, and that feeling of walking around with broken glass in my stomach was just gone. What a descriptor. Yeah. That enabled me to finish my Marine Corps career, and more importantly, made it possible for me to be closer to the father and husband I wanted to be and probably to still be alive now. During my last three years in uniform, I was able to go back to school nights and weekends, get my MA in counseling psych, and when I retired, I start a second career doing what I could to pay that gift forward as a trauma and addiction therapist. I'll always be deeply grateful. I appreciate deeply all you do to encourage people to understand that PTS is not weakness. It's a normal reaction to abnormal experiences, and help and relief are available. What a great Well said. Thank you. I just want to chime in and second that message from the point of view of another person who has been there. Now, a shit kid said, after my mother got sober herself, she was a fiercely devoted and loving parent, but she still had all the calm and easygoing temper of a (laughs) flamethrower. It didn't bother me when she yelled because I knew my brothers and I were safe with her and she'd do anything for us and she also could laugh at herself. Anyway, One day she was having a tough afternoon and I decided that I was doing my chores in a dumb way. I'd I'd vacuumed the living room, but then put some dirty throw rugs in there. So I was going to have to re-vacuum that part. Big deal. Mom worked herself up to yelling, you little son of a bitch. (laughs) And at that, I cocked my head, raised my eyebrow, Uh smiled and nodded vigorously. She stopped for a second, then cracked up and went to take a nap. I mean, what do you say that if you're saying to your own son, you son of a bitch? And he's like, yeah. I like how he didn't even say anything. He just nothing. "Mm, mm, mm." That's timing right there. Mm. As a pet tags, this is a semi-straight cat that often hangs out on my son's patio, as well as those of his neighbors. The cat eats pretty well. Chris named him Will Ferrell. (laughs) Ferrell. (laughs) F-E-R-A-L. That's hilarious. Keep up the good, funny, vital work. Semper Fi. Dude, Will Farrell. And what was the Will Farrell is brilliant. What was the other cat name? Oh, oh, we had uh Ford and from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? Yeah. And then we had Kitten. And then the two cats. That's the two that was the two ragdolls were were Ford and Arthur. But then the cat, the main coon. What was the main coon's name? Oh, Jobin. <laughs> oh my god, Jobin. I love how many of these cracked you up today. I love when you laugh. It makes me very, very happy. (laughs) 
Eh, Mamouche. Talk to you later, Jobin. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen that movie? It's so funny. Years ago. And uh, yeah, everybody go ahead and and watch I Love You, Man, because Paul Rudd is a national treasure. He's just a national treasure. He did. He's a great guy, too. He seems like, you know what I mean? Like the the Paul Rudd that we don't see it with Ryan the work. It just the normal guy. Yep. That's right. a good one. He doesn't age, though. It's a little fucking weird. It is. And when somebody a couple of years ago put up the side by side of him and Wilford Brimley, mm-hmm. where they were like, Paul Rudd is now the same age that Wilford Brimley was when he made Cocoon. Yeah. And, and uh, I, There's, it doesn't make any sense. Your head explodes. My head exploded. My head. They show Brad Pitt at the U.S. Open and I'm like, he's 57. He, he looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He does. That's yeah, right. right. That's right. They were like, oop, and there he was. Oh, Brad Pitt. Could you imagine getting your ticket and going and sitting down and you're like, I'm sorry, I'm sitting next to Bradley Cooper and Brad Pitt. You've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> Dude, I would be like hoping I was having a really good hair day. No, oh my day. God. I would be like, can you just donate some sperm? I don't want to touch yeah. either of you. I just need it to go. <laughs> I'll get it. I'll go in and get it, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> then what are we going to do? Extract it? Jesus. Well, we could leave the rest up to doctors, but you know. I mean, there you go. If, that's if you true. Need you get, get it. it. Hand it over. If you need a getter, I'll You're get my it. surrogate sperm collector? Is that what you've become? <laughs> <laughs> Not my surrogate to carry the baby. I just need you to go in and get the swimmers. <laughs> Can I get like a helmet and a t-shirt? <laughs> You're going to need it. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the helmet has like a... Like a, a headlamp? <laughs> yeah, a headlamp like for spelunking, but also like a like one of those, you know, those uh, headbands that have like the Irish shamrocks on it that boing, yeah. back and forth like yeah. those, but with sperm on the end. Boing, and I just go in and I could I could be the collector. There you go. Oh, my goodness. The end of the show was just for us, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> now I need to put that on my business card. Surrogate sperm collector. Oh, my God. Oh, that's too good. All right. Well, thank you. I don't have any final. I can't top that. Can you? No. In fact, I'm not even going to touch that pun either. We should end the show. Yep. You're right. I should. Let's let that lie. Uh, uh, Another one. Oh, another one. Until tomorrow. Please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Dana Goldberg. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.